Back to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast. I'm your host, Austin, and you better put that thing back where it came from, or so help me, because on this episode of the podcast, we're talking about Makoto Shinkai's latest film, Suzume, and I'm joined by a wonderful cohort of running chairs. Uh, who do I have with me tonight going in, I guess, Discord order? Uh, it is I, Bill, humming and deeply breathing. Uh, a wonderful song in my head. And Tori, my cat is absolutely not allowed to watch this movie. <laughs> That's for the best. And Ryan, and this movie made me hungry enough that I have curry on the oven currently. <laughs> well, it should make you hungry enough for uh, for Big Macs too, because of all the the uh, the product placement. Curry, Big Macs, <laughs> ramen. This movie Uber really eats. made me hungry. <laughs> Yeah, dude, Uber Eats, that's right. Man, I, well, that, I know that was Bill's favorite thing about the movie, was all the ads. <laughs> More just the astonishment of them, especially the Spotify stuff, but we'll get there when we get there. That's true, that's true. Uh, but yeah, we're going to talk about Suzume. We all got a chance to see it in theaters, what, like last week or two weeks ago? So um, yeah, Wait, we were it, supposed it, I... to watch this movie before we talk about it? Yes, Ryan, you were supposed to watch the movie. Do you, do you need to do you need to dip out and then come back? Yeah, I might need to be back in like four seconds or so. Okay, well, through the magic of podcasts, Ryan has now seen this movie. Woo! Nice. Nice. Awesome. I love editing. Anyway, um, yeah, we're going to talk about it. Um, I think it is, uh, it's always a, an interesting time to be an anime fan whenever there's a new Shinkai out, and we haven't had one since Weathering With You in 2019, which we talked about back in... Oh gosh, what was the number of that episode? I pulled it up. Episode 90 of the podcast. And what episode are we on now? 139? Yeah, we're on 139. So we talked about weathering with you. Gosh, ages ago, it feels like. March 4th, 2020 is the the date that that episode came out. And then we talked about your name back when we were a completely different podcast. Yeah, that <laughs> was like want- that was like our seventh episode, I think. It was it was literally our seventh episode. That is correct. All did right. You, good did guess. you look? Did you look that up? Or did no, you, I didn't. Uh, I, I did just totally like. Guess? Oh wow. I remembered. I remembered we watched it in April and we started the podcast in like February. <laughs> so I was just like, okay, uh, <laughs> probably we were about bi-weekly then. So you know. Yeah, dude. It was literally episode seven, which. Listeners at home, listen at your own risk. I cannot speak to the quality of that episode because it was ages ago. Don't know if it's any good or not. Yeah. Maybe let us know by leaving us a comment on thirdimpactanime.com. Hey folks, Editing Austin here. 
This episode of the podcast was recorded about a month ago and was intended to be released before we attended Animazement 2023 in Raleigh, North Carolina. Since the edit was delayed until after the convention, I've taken out the part of the podcast in the beginning where we hype up all the stuff that we're going to be doing at the convention, and I just cut to the chase with our review of Suzume. Uh, But since we don't like lost media here at Third Impact, if we can help it, I've released the cut audio as a bonus recording on our Patreon. It is the world's worst bonus I could think of because it's entirely due to my own lackadaisical editing workflow. But one man's trash is another man's bonus podcast, I guess. You can find it under our $3 tier at patreon.com slash thirdimpactanime. Anyway, on to the episode. Okay, so uh, production on this film began uh, pretty shortly after Weathering With You was released in 2019, and one of the big inspirations for, for, for what Shinkai wanted to do with this movie, different from his other films, was his personal reflection on the history of Japan, especially when it comes to natural disasters, because, I mean, just like any country, but I think Japan more specifically because they're such a small nation, such a small culture, they are almost constantly besieged by disasters of, of, of any shape and form. You know, earthquakes are really common, tsunamis, etc., and and other things as Island well. Island nation um, as well. Right, exactly, on a massive fault line and all of that stuff. But um, he was specifically very inspired by the events of 311, the Tohoku earthquake and tsunami um, that happened um, back then and there's there's been a lot of Japanese media in the last decade or so that has been sort of a, a commentary or a response or reaction to that specific event because I mean it was it was catastrophic like the the, the nuclear um, fallout from um, the Fukushima reactors like made certain portions of the country like completely uninhabitable to this day like 20,000 people died from that there's you know, there's so much uh, death and desolation from that event. It's a major, major disaster that happened to that. And, and films like uh, Shin Godzilla really sort of comment on that. Um, even even your name to an extent, because, you know, there's the plot point of like the comet coming down and basically destroying uh, Mitsu. Mi- is it Mitsuha or Mitsu- Mitsu- Mitsuha, Mitsuha is the store? Mitsuha is the store. The main, Mi- the main character is Mitsuha. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah, the yeah Mitsuha, her whole town was destroyed by that comet, and um, Shinkai has talked a bit about being inspired by that by the earthquake as well, because it it did just kind of wipe out some some towns from the face of the map. So a lot of that is kind of what he's pulling from when it comes to his thinking about Suzume. And um, during the press tour for Weathering with You, he got to visit a lot of different places that were affected by disasters over time. So that's kind of where the idea of doing kind of a road trip movie came from, where uh, Suzume would go to different places in Japan that had been affected by natural disasters throughout history. And he talks about some specific ones. Like, I don't I don't have all of them written down, but he talked like most of the places where she visits throughout the film are places that have had like historical disasters of of one shape or form over time. It's not just any, any one thing in particular. I had wondered about that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I don't think that's... I mean, we could talk about this later, but I don't think the knowledge of that is intrinsic to being entertained by this movie, but it does really give this give it this sort of um, anchor point to, to real-life people, real-life history, 
whenever you see like, oh, this is her going to very specific places that have this actual real world context to them. I think that just adds a whole extra layer of meaning to what this movie is trying to go for. Yeah, I was going to say it kind of unveils a different layer when you have that lens of the cultural context of um, that these were real locations and um, they're all tied to the historical event and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think he said in an interview that the that the giant worm monsters represented like the natural disasters affecting the areas. Right. Yeah. And um I think in one of those interviews as well, it's just like the reason why he depicted the the monster as kind of this like big amorphous worm thing is because he didn't he specifically didn't want to do like a Godzilla kaiju thing because he knows that there's so much like there's already so much of that that exists already and I, he wanted it to be a little bit more ambiguous yeah the worm kind of reminded me like style wise or just like kind of how it looked sometimes of like the comet from um uh your name mm-hmm. like yeah so he, he probably has like just kind of in his mind's eye like an idea of what disaster looks like if that makes sense right, right for sure yeah, or um, um, to me, it kind of looks like a like a fault line, um, mm, sort of. Is that. how I was taking it because, mm -hmm. like, when it would come up and then it would fall back down, and you know, that was the epicenter yeah. basically of whatever was about to happen. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a good point, and I think making mm -hmm. making the symbol what it is being kind of ambiguous, it. it mm -hmm. It, you can kind of project a bunch of different kinds of meanings onto it, which is, um, I think, very intentional. I think I think he was probably doing that on purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So another another angle of inspiration for for Suzume was, of course, uh, COVID. So, you know, they were writing this in early 2020, whenever you know Japan went into lockdown, uh, much like the rest of the world. Um, and he. He, like all of us, you know, back then, felt this profound sense of being, you know, trapped. You know, you can't really do much. There's nowhere to go, no one to see, because, you know, everything is, is effectively shut down. So, and, and this really made me laugh. This is just, a, like, a hilarious way to process something that's, like, really quite tragic that we all lived through and are, you know, still trying to process as individuals and as a society. The reason why he turned the main, the secondary main character, Sota, into a chair is because during the COVID lockdowns, he felt like he was turning into a chair because he was like trapped <laughs> in his chair all day. And I'm like, dang, oh, that's He was just that's so sedentary clever. that he <laughs> felt like a chair. <laughs> I like I'm that. Just like, that's dang, that, that is that's, real funny. That's great. Yeah, no, that's that, it's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> um, Quite poignant too. It is. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we can all deeply relate to that. Um, mm. And I think, you know, he also talked about, you know, he kind of had the idea of wanting to do a sort of non-traditional main character pairing for the film in in contrast to the works he had done previously. Because you look back through his filmography, it's pretty consistent. You know, our main characters are like regular boy, regular girl. Um, so here he was like, well, I kind of want to do something different. So how about regular girl? and a chair yeah. uh, which I'm like that's that's cool you know it's a different idea um, so he's kind of experimenting he with new concepts here yeah he also talked about in interviews that as he's gotten older 
he's had a harder time connecting with those kind of youthful romance stories. It's it kind of reminded me of how uh, in uh, Ava, uh, <laughs> the, mm. the main character shifted from Shinji to Gendo because um, oh my god, I'm having a brain fart on the names. Oh, thank you. How Ano was starting to connect more with Gendo as he got older. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. He and also Makoto Shinkai did uh, say an announcement that or an interview that he was thinking about doing an LGBT uh, relationship. I think it mm-hmm. was going to be, uh, uh, but that didn't come to pass, which I would have been interested to see what he would have done with that. Yeah, you just had me like, you had me going for a second. I was like, wait, he didn't do that, right? I didn't like miss an entire thing in this movie. That didn't no. happen. No, no, no he no. He, th- he thought about doing it, but he didn't do that. Right, right, right. And I mean, I, I guarantee you that since he said that, and even if he hadn't said it, um, if it's working around in his mind, that'll probably be something he explores down the line in the future. Yeah. Because I mean, as we can see, like, I, I, and we can talk about this a little bit. I see Suzume as kind of a turning point in in Shinkai's career. And only time will tell whether or not that sticks. But um, he, he definitely seems to clearly be interested in telling different types of stories going forward and you can see his um the types of movies that he's been making after uh garden of words have been like like natural disasters have been a huge part of that like they're part of your name part of weathering with you part of suzume as well so he like keeps building on these ideas that he's been thinking about so if he said that he wanted to explore that i have every reason to believe he's probably going to do that at some point in the future mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think Suzume was a very pivotal moment um, kind of in his film career because the entire time I kept thinking like I, I went in sort of knowing. Well, I don't want to say knowing I went in expecting like, OK, well, this is going to be the same thing. And then I was very pleasantly surprised that it was much more um, actiony and much more like it was just so tonally different than everything he had put out um kind of up until then and i'm sure we'll talk about that more but um Mm -hmm. yeah i was very taken um aback by like kind of what i had gotten um so yeah it's it's gonna be different going forward i think with him i think so too yeah. So um, to get in a little bit to the production staff, of course, you know, we've been talking about him the whole time. The, this film is written and directed by Makoto Shinkai, you know, the uh, now, I guess, modern legendary director of Your Name, Weathering With You, Five Centimeters Per Second, Garden of Words, et cetera, et cetera. You all know this guy. I don't need to explain him to you. Right. Um, we've got uh, the musical composer is Kazuma Jinouchi who did the music for Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex 2040, which Bill would tell you is the best-looking Ghost in the Shell they've ever made, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, it was good to have the uh, old dubcast back, and the story was good, but that did not look good. But <laughs> that's to be expected from uh, Netflix anime. It's a roll of the dice. Either it looks pretty good or doesn't look great at all. <laughs> And so, I heard of course, the pain for... in Bill's voice there of you, like, daring to say that. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, he re- he reunites again with his favorite band, the Radwimps, to come back again. But I- I'll say, I think 
and I I feel like the rad the rad wimpsiness of this movie mm-hmm. is a lot more <laughs> is a lot uh, more yeah. subdued this time around. They're there. Um, uh, they're there. They're lurking like a like a giant worm underneath underneath the earth. They are lurking. They are present, but they're not as uh as uh over over the top present as they were in something like Your Name, for example. Um, so they did work on this with him again. They did the theme song, which is a collaboration between them and a very young up and coming uh, TikTok cover artist named Toaka, who I don't think has worked like in this in a professional context until this so that that she just got discovered online and now she's in a major motion picture so good for her yeah and uh that that theme song uh which you've probably heard already in this episode is is really great it's very catchy so we have our, our character designs are by Masayoshi Tanaka, who, even if you don't know his name, you're probably familiar with some of his work because he's been fairly prolific over the last decade or so. He was the chief animation director and character designer on Anohana, one of my favorite shows, and also uh, Waiting in the Summer and High School of the Dead, and he worked on the opening for Your Name. Did he do the character designs for um, Weathering with You and Your Name as well? Uh, no, but I believe he worked on the production. Okay. In some okay. capacity. So, um, we have a returning Comics Wave champion, Takumi Tanji, who returns as the art director, who has been with Makoto Shinkai for a very long time. So his signature Shinkai-esque uh, art direction uh, is uh, present in full force with those beautiful sunsets, beautiful cityscapes, beautiful landscapes and so on that we've come to expect from comics wave and the animation director is kenichi suchia what is he the character designer for your name and garden of words yeah he was he was an animation director and key animator on your name and garden of words and was the character designer and key animator on weathering with you tori would you like to do our cast for us um yeah i can totally do that okay our cast. Um, the cast of this movie is actually really, really incredible considering there's a lot of um, first-time voice actors for a lot of these roles. Um, it's really cool stuff. Um, so for Suzume in Japanese, um, she is voiced by Nanokahara. Um, this is her very first anime voice credit, but she'll be playing Mizuho in the live-action adaptation of Wave Listen to Me, and she's mainly been a live-action actress um, and then this is, I've been flipping out about this all day because it's, it's very timely for me, but in English, she is voiced by Nicole Sakura, um, who I have recently discovered in, um, the TV show Superstore, um, but she was also the village bride in the first Star Wars Visions, and then was Emily, um, in Until Dawn. Man, that's wild. Which is her- like, yeah. How- how often do like bit characters from NBC sitcoms end up in anime? <laughs> like it's weird. No, and it's it's so funny. I think what like I was just saying, what entertains me the most is just like the juxtaposition between the character that she plays in that TV show because I I really love her character in that show. She's just very funny, and so that character versus like Suzume. And the way, I mean, we saw the the subtitled version, so I, I really want to rewatch this in English now. But it's just like, I'm just imagining Susan May as her character in Superstore, and it, it's just doing a lot for me. Anyway, um, 
Sota in Japanese is voiced by Hokuto Matsumura. Um, he's a live action actor. Um, he was in the 2018 adaptation of Kids on the Slope. He's a singer in the group uh, Stones, and this was his first anime role. Um, in English, he is voiced by Josh Keaton, who was Thomas Taurus in Tiger and Bunny 2. Um, and he was Shiro in Voltron. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah, Josh um, Keaton's yeah. done a ton of things. Yeah. Um, he, Sota has that kind of cool guy energy. So um, Daijin, which was... He's uh, Hal for a new generation. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, Daijin in Japanese, is voiced by um, An Yamane, and in English, um, Daijin is voiced by Lena Josephine Morano, um, both literal children, and both of these um, girls, this is their first voice acting role, so that's very sweet, I think. Um, I hope uh, they have a very good career. <laughs> I wonder if this is a similar, uh, and, and once again, a similar uh Similarity? I don't want to say that. A similar similarity. What? A, a connection point of this movie to Monsters, Inc. Because they also cast a literal child to play Boo in that movie. Yes, and it's a right. movie about doors. <laughs> um, and then Tomoya um, in Japanese was voiced by Rinosuke Kamiki. Um, he was Taki in Your Name, uh, Sho in Ar- Arietti, and Markle in How. Um, and then English, he is voiced by, um, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, sorry if I am not, is Joe Zieja, um, and he was Claude in Fire Emblem Three Houses. Um, and then Subame, who is uh, Suzume's mom, was voiced by the very famous Kana Hanazawa. Um, you may know her um, in such roles as Ikane from Psychopaths, uh, Mitsuri in Demon Slayer, and Hanakawa in um, Monogatari series. And then in English, uh, she's voiced by Allegra Clark, who is Puko in Agretico, um, Maki and Maki in Jujutsu Kaisen, um, Tamaki, who is Suzume's aunt. In Japanese, is voiced by Eri Fukatsu. Um, this is also her voice. Her voice. Her voice roll. Her voice. Where do we? I'm foist. walking here. <laughs> where do we? <laughs> um, sorry, let me start over. God. Um, in Japanese, she is voiced by Eri Fukatsu. This is also her first animated voice role. Mostly, um, she's also a live-action actress, including the live-action adaptation of um, Parasite. And then in English, um, she is voiced by Jennifer Sun Bell, and she is um, apparently multiple characters in Genshin Impact. And then um, Rumi, um, who was the mom who also worked at the Hostess Club. In Japanese, she was voiced by Sari Ito. Um, she was Midori in um Ezoken. and then in english she was voiced by amanda c miller um who is known for voicing sailor jupiter in the newer dub of sailor moon and was mikage and Dararara. and then we have chica who was the girl on the vespa um in japanese she was voiced by kotone hanase um this was actually her first voice acting role as well and then in English, she was voiced by Rosalie Chang, um, who was Mei Mei in Turning Red, which was really cool, actually. Oh, 
Yeah, to just find out. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and then um, last but not least, uh, Minoru, who was um, Sota's friend um, in Japanese, was uh, voiced by Shota Somitani. Um, he was Kamashin in Bell and also the main character in Parasite. And then... Um, the live action Parasite. The live action Parasite. Yes. Thank you. And then in English, um, he is voiced by Roger Craig Smith, who uh, has voiced Sonic in some iterations, but most importantly, Chris Redfield in Resident Evil. He's like uh, the Sonic guy, right? Like, that's not uh, John Ralphio? I don't know anything about he, he's Sonic. The, so. He's the video game <laughs> Sonic guy, and he's been doing it for a really long time, and I'm a little inclined to say that Sonic's more important than Chris Redfield, sorry. I have hey. no frame of reference for Sonic, so... <laughs> <laughs> no, Roger Listen. Craig Smith is responsible for most of the meme lines that you know and love mm. today. Cool, okay. I, I want to see both of them in the same video game so that they can talk to each other. Yeah, that doesn't seem likely. We just need a Sega versus Capcom fighting game. and then Actually, be... all we need is Chris and Smash. That's never going to happen. Maybe in Smash Ultimate 2. Yeah. Smash Ultimater. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Bill. So if you could introduce sort of generally speaking, you know, we've kind of touched on some broad strokes about what this movie is about, but just go ahead and lay it all out there. What is this? What is Suzume about? Sure. Our story is about a girl named Suzume that on her way to school, she meets a mysterious man who asks for directions for any ruins in the area. Intrigued, Suzume goes to an abandoned factory town where the man is hit. Uh, sorry. Where intrigued, Suzume goes to an abandoned factory town where the man is headed. There she finds a mysterious door standing alone in an open space. Opening it, she sees a beautiful star-filled field that she is not able to enter. Uh, as she's looking at it, she picks up a stone cat statue, which in turn turns into a real cat. Freaked out, Suzume uh, leaves the area, but back at school, she notices a large red cloud that no one else can see. Going back to investigate, she sees a supernatural force coming out of the door with the mysterious man trying to close it together. They're able to do so, and is revealed the cat, uh, who goes by the name of Daijin, uh, is one of the guardians of the door, and has now abandoned its post. This mysterious man, known as Sota, gets into an argument with Daijin, who in turn turns him into the childhood chair of Suzume. Now, Suzume and a transformed Sota must travel all across Japan to find Daijin and turn Sota back to normal, and to close any other gates caused by Daijin leaving its post as guardian. I think that pretty much well covered it. So it's a, a girl and a chair's bizarre adventure across across Japan to various cities. Carrying that chair on the subway, on a boat, on a train... By car, by Vespa. It's just it they could eat it here. They could eat it there. <laughs> they could eat it anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I mean, it's it's kind of a hilarious bit just to watch the, the, the visual comedy of seeing this chair just, like, walk around and run around and, like, she's constantly carrying it and it's just, it's it's good visual comedy. Like, mm-hmm. it's, ver- it's very, <laughs> it's very silly. Like, it sounds, it sounds terrible on paper, but uh, in real life, it's, it's, it's quite amusing. Yeah, I like that the people in the world, too, don't really question it beyond kind of like, what was that? And then everybody just kind of moves on with their life. Um, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a myth of so like it gets caught on social media like Nigen mm-hmm. and the chair the moving cryptid. around. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah and and I, so like people people see it, but then they're like, "Well, wait, what was that? We didn't get a clear view of it." Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there is, like, an interesting social media angle, too, because they use social media to sort of track Daijin's locations throughout the throughout the movie. I guess sort of going back to the beginning here, you know, we sort of touched on, you know, how we generally feel about Shinkai having seen his work and all of us having followed his career for for quite a long time at this point. So I guess what expectations were y'all taking into Suzume and how did you feel about those expectations uh, coming out of it? I guess for me, um, Tori kind of touched on mine a little bit. I was expecting this to just kind of be your name part three because weathering with you was so much of like your name again but with more guns and i just kind of expected this to be that again and i was deeply deeply and pleasantly surprised that it was it was kind of a a, a turning point like like i said earlier um for for shinkai because i feel like it wasn't really about romance this time it was it was more of an action film more of a of a of a journey of a like a road trip movie and it 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 touched on relationships outside of romance. So I, I was very pleased with it. I think there are some issues with it that are like pet peeves of mine that come up at the end, but um, we can talk about that as well. But I was, I'm generally pretty positive on this one. How else were you guys feeling? Yeah, pretty, pretty much like I, I pretty much expect any Shinkai movie to look um, like very colorful because that's like the visual style that I associate with him, like very vibrant and colorful. And um, that definitely delivered for me. Like that was that was like my bare minimum expectation, but I didn't expect him to do Your Name again, just because Your Name wasn't even the first time he did Your Name. Well, that's kind of for me, that's why I expected it to be Your Name Part 3, because Your Name is just five centimeters per second too. I yeah. mean, like... <laughs> but better yeah um i i think i went in i was like well i'm probably gonna get a romance and there's probably gonna be some paranormal ish mm, fantasy angle to it 
Um, and I was kind of right on some of it. Um, and then, like, when they started kind of setting up for romance, I was like, wait a minute, she's a high schooler and he's like a nondescript age college student. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they didn't. It was like a, it definitely could have been read as like a platonic, like, love story. Like, you know, you just care about somebody, you love them. And like a platonic, like, you love them because you care about them. Um, you love someone like you love their, you love your chair, you know? Right, 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 right. Like, you know, you, you want somebody to do well and you have love for them. And, um, I was, I was pleased with that, but like, I hit the beats that I was expecting, but when it kind of like took on that action turn and at some points could have delved into almost like a horror movie, I was like, oh, okay, cool nice <laughs> thank you appreciate what, it for not doing the same thing over and over um well like when they were sealing the doors and stuff like the stakes were very very high and like dark mm. there i mean that that sure. could have taken a very dark turn very quickly and um especially i know we're gonna get into it but like that ending bit where like all of those people were about to die that was very horrific yeah um so yeah there was a huge mm. amount of weight going on there i mean and i think that was very purposeful you know he wanted to indicate that the big that the big worms or whatever they were calling them were like i mean they're supposed to be analogs to natural disasters and yeah. Lots of people unfortunately die during those. Yeah, where it was like um, the just thinking back to your name, because I mean, that's the one I've seen the most. I mean, I've only seen a couple of his films, but your name is the one I have seen the most. But it was like the the gravity of that situation. It was a very isolated incident. Like, yes, like her village, like those people were impacted, but it was a very isolated incident where like these were incidents going on all over japan where like hundreds of thousands of people were potentially going to die so it was like affecting everybody and not necessarily just one village um that it did in your name i mean it still sucks people died um but it was much more of an isolated incident whereas in like um suzume there were much more uh, lives, um, there were bigger consequences essentially, yeah. I guess, is Sticks what I'm trying were to a lot get higher. at. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I have a mixed things, feelings about Makoto Shinkai. I think all his movies are gorgeous to look at. Like, I wish there was more art books of his movies because his backgrounds are gorgeous to look at. But I've always had plot problems with his movies like 5 centimeters per second and especially with Garden of Words where the romantic angles of those movies just frustrate me uh, for another podcast talk. Uh, I liked Your Name a lot, but I've not really clicked with any of his other work. And Suzume was the first one that I felt like I didn't have any glaring plot issues that i normally had with his work well dang we'll call him up on the phone and say wow he finally pleased bill (laughs) (laughs) he'll be like yeah he's gonna be like who shinkai can sleep well tonight yeah uh i don't think shinkai needs uh my stamp of approval i think he's got (laughs) all his stamps of approval from spotify and from lawson's and 
<laughs> from, from, from being the, the fourth highest grossing uh, film in Japan of all time. But never mind, never mind. It's all about that's Bill's not, approval. Yeah, that's but, not the important but, part. Right, right. The important part is yeah, that no, we are happy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but but he did, he sticks to themes he's gone back to a lot, like uh, having a sci-fi element. I do like that he changed things up slightly, like thinking about it. There is a horror element to the story of this un mitigated disaster that we know is coming as the audience and they're the unsuspecting victims of these major cities and also just trying to close the doors were very hair raising like the sequence when they're on the ferris wheel mm. was could be very hair raising or the i think it's when they're in tokyo when they're having to deal with the train mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh it being more action-oriented was a nice change of pace and uh, we'll get into the relationship stuff later but i also found that interesting where it wasn't a straight romantic relationship but i i do have some nitpicks about it but we'll get into that in a bit well bill just i mean just go ahead and get into it like what what were those nitpicks based on based on what you saw in terms of the relationships of the film i wish they had it's funny because Sota and Suzume are the main characters, right? Mm-hmm. And our focus is on them primarily through the movie. But I never felt like the movie gave them time to show us them really developing a, a, a rapport amongst each other. Because they're always, always having to go on the move to get to the next door when they see Daijin. I felt more interested in the relationship between Suzume and her aunt. I thought that had a much stronger narrative mm-hmm. connection. Because we get all those flashbacks, and then we get the um, the um, an idea of kind of a, the negative view the aunt might have on Suzume about her having to take care of Suzume and basically take on the mother role. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that relationship was much stronger, and I would have liked to have seen that more explored. Uh, well, whereas I, think, I felt I mean... like um, sorry, where I felt like uh, Sota and Suzume was very much like we have a goal and we have to get to it so basically and you wanted more really... emotional carnage mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i wanted a stronger i wanted a stronger connection between the two of them because it's because i can see why they care for each other because if you've it's, it's very much like we're two people in the trenches trying to stop this calamity it was trauma so bonding can, yeah true <laughs> yeah I, I i could i could see that but i i never felt like the movie gave them time to just really talk with each oh, other for sure Not not to play defense too hard based on based on what the author has said and his personal intentions uh, because I mean I think you've got some fair points there but like I think that he I I think that 
based on Shinkai's previous works, I feel like that would have been an easy trap for him to fall into to once again do a uh, boy and girl grow in their relationship between one another, the movie. And I think maybe he intentionally put this magical wedge between the two of them to focus on other relationships because he didn't want to do that. And sure, yeah, maybe it kind of neuters their connection to one another but i think that the other and i don't think their relationship is bad um and i but i definitely see him focusing more on the emotional tension between her and her aunt for the scenes that we do see them in um significantly so so i mean maybe he just kind of did that on purpose he didn't want to do the same thing again because if he did that again it would just be the same thing again i don't know if that makes sense you know what i mean i i I get that, but when Suzume near the end is basically willing to sacrifice herself to get Sota back, it was hard for me to connect with because they didn't really have a strong rapport between the two of them, I feel. It's because so she's a good person. Me, it was hard for me to get emotionally invested with her choice. I mean, I think they have enough connection where that makes sense, and clearly Suzume is a very... You know, she really grows as a person and grows in responsibility throughout the course of the movie. So that didn't strike me as odd, like, whatsoever. Because, like, of course she would want to save this person that, you know, she's been working with this whole time. Whose entire life has basically been dedicated to, you know, protecting Japan from these natural disasters. Because one, one, uh, one detail of the story that we haven't talked about yet is that basically Sota, he works as a, there, there's a name for it in the film a closer a closer Mm -hmm. um and he basically he's part of this sort of uh, supernatural uh order of things you know he gets he's passed down this information from his father and from his grandfather who we do see briefly um to basically be caretakers of uh whenever doors show up and the giant worm tries to escape they take care of it because only they're able to see that or have the power to you know say the spell or the chant to prevent that from happening so um i was going somewhere with that oh gosh i'll give you a minute to uh figure that out but when tori just said closer my mind like short-circuited for a second because while correct i just finished watching suits and one of the main characters is constantly referred to as the best closer in the city and i'm just like (laughs) wait hold on he's not harvey specter what's going on here (laughs) (laughs) kind of like you were saying i i did think that they had enough of a relationship to kind of develop even if he was a chair for like 99 percent of it um because they they how many how many gates do they close together like at least like five, four. Yeah, yeah. like four, I mean, five. and they four, also four, spent four, multiple time, like multiple scenes, like speaking to each other. Yeah, <laughs> like, like she was sharing her concerns and things like that with him and things. So they were they were developing their bond. It's not like they spent a lot of time off screen with each other and then came back and we're like mm, we're in love but but it was but it was more with like the vespa girl or the mom who runs the bar yeah like he was in he was listening in and now and 
Uh, I would actually, I would actually argue the Vespa girl kind of got the short end of the stick because, like, they did get a lot of off scene because it basically was like them running around cleaning and being like, ha ha ha, boys, ha ha ha, shopping, we're besties <laughs> now, um, come on over anytime you want, and then you like never see her again after that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now the mom, well, that, uh, the mom did have more to do with it. Like the, she did spend an extended like amount of time with the mom. Um but I don't know. I feel like her and Sota did get a good enough amount of time to bond and I think because they're interested in each other, at least the way I read it and I feel like people will probably agree is like it's not a romantic love at least the way I saw it. So I think by the end I definitely think it was. It, you think it was? Definitely. I think it's ambiguous. I think you're it both is. correct. I, I, For I sure. Think it was just yeah. that was just the vibe I was getting, and like I could be completely wrong, um, but like that was the vibe I was getting. I also did, to your point though, I did find it funny that every time he was asleep and she couldn't wake him up, she tried the princess and the frog method. <laughs> yeah. I just I found that very funny. Um, um, that that, that was, was a good that bit. Was funny. That was yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that was good. But yeah, I don't. I but see, I mean, that is typically my like chief complaint with romance stories too. Is I feel like it's either way way too fast, it's insta love, or it's just not there at all. I guess, and I, I don't know. I feel like in the time frame this movie had, um, I feel like it did a, a good enough job at um, working with what it had. I think at least at least to me. I should I should clarify. I wasn't saying that. Uh, they're they're romantic partners. I, I'm I'm more in the idea of they're platonic friends, and that's oh, what yeah. I was. I hope so, just because of the age range. Because of the what? Because of the age range. Oh no, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like yeah. that's that's no, like exactly I, I truly hope point. it is. However, we do know that in anime, that has not always been the case. Unfortunately, I mean, garden of words. Yeah. <laughs> Who directed that? I mean, huh? nothing. There is, there's like, I can't remember the, I can't remember the na- the full name of the anime. It's like one of those mouthfuls, but basically, it's the, uh, the one involving a girl being found under a lamplight, and she tries to come on to the main character in the first episode, and he like puts his foot down, and is just like, "We are not gonna have sex." And I was like, "Thank you, Japan, for finally like." <laughs> doing this and then by the end of the series they're like okay maybe when you get older and i'm like motherfucker oh my god no i don't know yeah so it's like my my hopes have kind of been dashed of like people doing the right thing with that well let's not Um, let ryan lead us down a road of a tangent yeah it's just that's that's (laughs) all i had to say on the matter is it's like yeah i like she was like way more emotional than I thought for somebody who had platonic love for somebody else. So right, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't, I think it's completely pointless to get hung up on this because I think yeah. this is not is not critical to the story that is trying no, to be told. I, and it's it's so ambiguous. I I, I think I was just and trying to look to at be. it in the sense the most, of yeah. like, I think maybe she was listless and just like I I could be reading him like way too much onto this, but. I just, I feel like she was listless, and this gave her something to kind of, like, not necessarily fulfill herself, but I think she was, there was some motivation here, and and you kind of get what I'm getting at, you know, like, the, the yeah. center on that journey, and 
Sure. I, I don't know. I, I, I think why we're get, I think why I think why we're getting hung up on this is because we expect it from Shinkai. So the <laughs> the the expectations of his previous work are kind of like we're trying to fit it into the into the mm-hmm. puzzle that we're used to. True. When maybe this yeah, he, he maybe this time it's like in the past. And that's okay. It doesn't it's have like, to fit into the it doesn't right. have to fit mm-hmm. into the puzzle. And a, that's why creator doesn't have to have every single thing fit into the mold every single time and that's it shouldn't right that, that and that's why shouldn't. i and that's why i personally am so like i'm fairly disinterested in like the relationship angle here and i think that the connection between the two characters is fairly strong and i mean mm-hmm. i think a little bit of it is circumstantial because you do have the situation where like yes this this guy literally gets transformed into a childhood heirloom of this girl who you know, she has this deep personal connection to because of her deceased mother that is no longer around in a town that is that doesn't that effectively doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. So this is like one of the few connection mm-hmm. points to her mother. And now there's just like some guy in it. So there's like some there's a lot of <laughs> weird emotional uh, tornado stuff, uh, uh, a, a giant worm of emotion, if you will, <laughs> to be put uh, <laughs> to put into this a very awkward situation. Where like of course she she would never she would not abandon him because you know she he they have formed this rapport but he also sort of represents in this in this uh, physical form something that's like deeply important to her so I guess that's something we could talk about as well so like something that's always in the background here is like Suzume's own personal um, history with tragedy. Like, that's how the movie begins. You know, we start off with her basically having a dream of something that happened to her when she was a really little kid, which we learn later is, like, the events of 311 and her hometown being destroyed and her mother, um, I guess, being killed in that event? Missing? Was, Don't was know. it specifically 311 that, like, destroyed her town, or is it supposed to be ambiguous in the movie? It's, it's specifically 311 because when okay. she opens her journal, you specifically see 311 yeah. on the top uh, page. Okay, yeah, I didn't right. notice that. No, yeah. um, every um, every natural disaster uh, city, I guess, or, or location featured in this is uh, is supposed to be indicative of a real actual place. Okay. okay. Shinkai has talked about this in interviews. He's just like, I knew yes, it was this, this thing is this, this thing is that, etc. Right. It wasn't the one-to-one names, though, right? It could have been in terms of the general city. Uh, yeah. I, I don't have it right in front of me, but he's yeah. Specifically I, I read. Said I read yes. on this like right after I saw the movie, but I don't remember what I read, which right, I guess right. says a lot about my reading comprehension. But um, Skim Master General. Yeah, but um. No, I do, I do remember that they were all based on real things, but based on does not always indicate actually.
think it was kind of one of those things of like she wasn't she didn't seem to be super close with her aunt and despite the big emotional uh fight that they had that she was possessed i think question mark that was kind of an odd scene but um yeah they like they definitely had they didn't have a perfect relationship so i think it was like she found somebody that she could finally connect to and didn't want them to like go away yeah i mean that that's definitely a, a, a an interesting angle here because you you have her her aunt who took her in after her mother passed away and there's this whole tension of like her aunt being like she had to put her, her entire life on hold to take care of a child and that wasn't in her plans like it's, it's one thing if you you know plan to be a parent and you you know structure your life around that and that's a decision that you make but this was like thrust upon her through immense tragedy and the loss of her sister at the same time so it's just like there's a lot of tension going on there and like there's there is that sequence where daijin or the other the other spirit basically like takes control of the ant and they have a confrontation where she says some truly nasty things to suzume i forget really what the narrative point of that scene was if you guys remember you can refresh me I, but like I think it was supposed to just show her true feelings because, like everybody, everybody always then, censors themselves to a degree. No, but well, but that's it, the it that was, was the like, opposite of the point. It's a, it's a reflection of maybe deep seated feelings that yeah. she might have had at a certain point. I really enjoyed that sequence because it it shows that even if you care for someone, you're there's going to be times where you have anger or frustrations or things that you just keep to yourself that are just deep seated within you the back of your mind and the the uh that spirit sort of revealed it even if it's not the whole truth it's part it's part of her regret or feelings at at us maybe at a certain point taking care of suzume right in the right. words of avenue q the more you love someone the more you want to kill them <laughs> thank you <laughs> uh, i think tension was already really high during that anyway because they were stuck during the bad weather and that was pre when they wrecked the car right but they were oh, still yeah. kind yes. yeah so they were they were still kind of frustrated about the weather and i think it was all just kind of like little things leading up to that and I, also it was just another character introduction really kind of um so <laughs> yeah i mean um, i think it was it was a, it was a high tension <laughs> moment to sort of lay out there this this uh this conflict that's sort of been in the back of their relationship for 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 years at this point and I, I thought it was um, it was interesting to explore that, but it was mm -hmm. also interesting to see the aunt basically be like, I don't really feel this way. Like, I, I understand that, you know, in a way, having to take care of you was not my choice, but mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that I don't do it with, you know, uh, every bit of love that I could possibly do yeah, it with. Yeah, she, you know? she well, said she... something like... Uh, of course I've thought that, but that's not really true. And I think right. that's yeah. a very important distinction to sure. make. <laughs> yeah, like, I think she said something like, I've definitely felt that way sometimes, but I would never, like, blame you for what happened. Right, mm -hmm. right. I mean, there is a lot of, uh, you know, we've, we've touched on it before, you know, like how grief and trauma shapes people and how it shapes personal and family dynamics too and they, you see this a bit with sota and his grandfather it's just like there's this tension of like him not being able necessarily to live the life that he wants because he's beholden to this 
job that he has to do and in a way that kind of makes him similar to suzume's aunt in that way it's like she has to care for her so i was gonna say where his friend goes to goes to his apartment to just basically just vent his frustrations of this is the third time you've missed the teacher exam right Mm -hmm. you can't keep you can't you can't keep doing this why are you doing this right you need to move forward Mm-hmm. His defense, he was a chair. <laughs> this time, the other times, not so sure. Probably was not yeah, a chair. Probably not. Probably not. This is a total uh, 180. But man, if I did not have so much raw delight watching that little chair run around, do that parkour, man. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Man, few fewer things have made me uh, as giddy to watch in theaters as just watching that little chair on his three legs just go. So funny. Yeah, doing like flips on the back of the worm. I'm just like, dude, this chair has got moves. I know his little like the little dun 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 of of the chair legs really really got me. I'm not gonna lie. Mm-hmm. The sound um, effect was really funny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just the fluid animation too of the park of the movement of the chair like right. it never felt like they they cheapened out in in terms of the animation like they went all out getting the, the three leg movement getting him to getting the chair to jump around like it, they never it never felt like they were based on my eyes they never used any sort of animation tricks to uh make it easier on themselves it was very detailed movement and uh it was it was a nice it was a funny moment never suzume stops in the town and gets picked up by the um the 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 random mother or of uh, the two twins that just picks her up at the bus station because it's raining and she's like where do you need to go she just this random person stops and uh takes her in for a little bit uh truly uh selfless act to do and then brings her back home to the um I guess the apartment that is above the hostess club where she works mm-hmm. and uh, Suzume yeah. just hang Suzume and Sota just hang out with the kids for a while. And Sota's really trying to keep it together to not reveal that he is a sentient chair. And then he, <laughs> he breaks the facade and then Suzume is like, uh, it's a, it's a, it's an AI chair. It'll, uh, it'll walk around and it'll say things. <laughs> and then they just have this fun little sequence where they walk where they like ride the chair around and it's very cute. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. That was an interesting cultural thing of just, like, people keep helping Suzume, like, the girl in the Vespa and the mom mm-hmm. who runs the hostess bar. Because yeah. I kept... It was it was hard for me to think about it from a Western, from a Western perspective, because if this was made in an American setting, most people would be like, tough luck, I'm, I'm on my way. Good yeah, luck. we would never do <laughs> that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we, we, would ne- we would never do that. So it was interesting to see just, like, people go, yeah, I'll help you get to where you need to go. Right, right. And there was there was no like, what's in it for me? Right. Like you yeah. can, you can if you can help me with some things, great. But there was like no like, you have to pay me this amount of money or so and so. Basically, like the reason why they're going from town to town is because you know that whenever Sota gets turned into the chair uh, by the cat spirit Daijin, Daijin basically just is like, peace, I'm out. You're stuck as a chair forever. Later. Yeah. And they have to like find him to get him to break the spell so they keep going to these different towns where the worm keeps showing up to and trying to track him down and they have to lock each door but like you said it's kind of it's very much that 
that road trip kind of thing. They interact with new and different types of people in every place that they visit um, while trying to track down Daijin until they eventually snatch that little jerk. Mm-hmm. Um, to backtrack for like two seconds, I just want to say I was very shocked whenever she started hitchhiking. And I, listen, I know it's a movie and, and the story has to progress. Um, but that she was hitchhiking and then she was picked up um, because it's very, very rare in Japan that people hitchhike. Like, it's just not a thing um, hmm. that they do. So, um, yeah, that was a, a very interesting detail yeah yeah <laughs> so that's like that's the thing um i think that kind of a western perspective we have though you mentioned like they were just willing to help her like there are definitely mm. still people here who are like willing to help but also people around here have an overwhelming sense of everyone is going to try to like kidnap or kill me yeah. so it's like don't <laughs> trust strangers type thing right right mm -hmm. so i think that's kind of like where our backstop is whereas over there they don't really have that problem and, right. and it's and it's a film right he's constructing a narrative he's he's trying to show that you know um life and people continue even in these mm -hmm. places where massive tragedies have occurred yeah. you know pe um, people pick themselves up people pick each other up together and they you know, they do that by showing kindness to strangers, which is exactly what Suzume experiences. She is the recipient of kindness to strangers, which is exactly sort of what gets people through these big natural disasters that happen to them. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it really feeds in sort of the whole overall narrative that is, is being weaved here. do a transition in terms of trusting I just it made me think of the the villain maybe not the villain of the cat mm -hmm. the cat was weird it's the cat the cat's very much like I'm doing this because I want to be your friend Suzume let's let's be friends <laughs> yeah and then the cat like almost literally happening. died when she said i hate you and i'm just like well you oh have my god been, that got like... me that got me so bad when... i was like you are directly responsible for like the closest relationship she's ever had like vanishing because you were being a cat oh man when when daijin came up and was like Suzume doesn't love me anymore and then immediately shrunk up. I was like, yeah, I gotta go home and like, hug my cat right now. Gray, needed a bath. 
Yeah. <laughs> I know. I was like, no, take it back, Suzume. <laughs> yeah. I, I came like, home I'm and I gave Yoda a hug and I'm just like, I love you and you're never going to turn into a shriveled mess. I know. I was like, I don't care. You're trying to destroy the world. You just, you need love. <laughs> yeah, that the, the uh, Daijin was pretty like frustrating because you're just like, you're supposed to be the guardian of these doors. Just go back I'm, and do your thing. Like, do your freaking I'm job. Still- I'm still a little confused by that. And it's been a couple of weeks since we've seen the movie. So someone please remind me. So I I get that he didn't want to be a guardian statue anymore. I understand that. Sure, he but wanted freedom. What, he wanted freedom. But like, it was very ambiguous as to why. So what, what was the point? Like, was he, he wasn't opening the doors, was he? I think the doors were just opening because... From what from it had my weakened, read, the connection had weakened because yeah, the other cat, head. the other cat had also come out somehow. The, I don't know what was going on with the other cat to be perfectly honest, but I think the thing is that like the doors were opening anyway. Like it's just one of those things that the what are, you just told me what they were, the, the uh, the people that are in charge of locking the, the closers. doors, the closers. The, closers. the closers, the closers. It looks like this is just something that they have to keep an eye out for like this uh-huh. will happen and they just have to show up whenever it happens yeah and i think that yeah so they they daijin was taking them to where they were opening right he it just looked like he was opening them Could've because been. he was being so ambiguous about what he was actually doing am i remembering correctly um, no, daijin wasn't daijin wasn't opening them but daijin was definitely leading them to okay. the opening doors and the the way i kind of viewed it as was like the doors are open either way with the guardians, but we, if the guardians are gone, it gets worse. It's like a yeah. hur- it's like a storm or a hurricane. Okay, where okay. The guardians make it le- into like a lesser tropical storm, but with the guardians gone, it becomes like a a, a, a five or a four hurricane. That's a good way. To okay, put it. cool. That, that's right, like, kind of I kind of thought, thought that Daijin was like following them because to me it seemed like they knew because Daijin isn't doing what he's supposed to be doing. Now it falls to us to do this, and so that's why they were, you know, traveling. And I assume he had like, um, Soda had like some knowledge of where the gates were, or at least. Well, I don't think Jeff- he, I don't think he expected for all of them to be opening. Correct. As but that's the thing along. is like it was made worse because you know there was no guardian, so he was like, we right. got to go around and try to close as many as possible while we figure out this whole new guardian thing. Um, right, right. Or like try to chase Daijin, but the like, way the, the way that Shinkai has described what Daijin is supposed to be is like is that he's supposed to be just like nature, like the idea of nature at all, which is which nature can be quite beautiful, but also quite uh, indifferent to the feelings of humans, uh, and yeah. uh, it's difficult for us to control if we can even control it at all. So it's like I could see that, but there, I guess there are some mechanical specifics and the personality and motivations of Daijin that don't quite all come together for me. It's something that I might feel more solidified in a take on upon repeat viewings. <laughs> there was yeah. a lot going on with that character. 
Right. I'm not going to lie. When he first showed up, um, I was like, wow, this movie is really be about to be a, hey, Suzume, do you want to be a magical girl? <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, no, we, we can't do that. Um, I was just like, yeah, are you going to make me want to kill this cute animal as well? <laughs> no. <laughs> mm. Contact? Contact? <laughs> I mean, that's basically what he did to her, though, if you really think about it. I mean, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, let's let's face it. I mean, Suzume is a magical girl. She's a girl. She's got magic, you know, there. That's all you need. I mean, sure. <laughs> yeah, she's got a magical keyblade that's tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess sort of, you know, we've, we've gone on here for a while. I guess let's just pivot to talking about the end. So the ending, to me, did one of those things that in fiction really has grown to frustrate me deeply, where it becomes like a circular, self-fulfilling time loop. Because we find out at the very end, sort of after all things are said and done, I forget exactly how we get here, that basically... Suzume herself is the reason why Suzume as a child is still able to find and hold on to the uh, the childhood chair that her mother made for her even after the disaster that destroyed her home. And I'm like, well, this is very meaningful because it's kind of like a um, you shape your own destiny for yourself kind of yeah. thing, which I can I can vibe with that as a theme. I get that. But I also don't, <laughs> I don't know, it's just a pet peeve of mine. Maybe you guys share this, maybe it doesn't bug you at all. But I'm just like, I hate, I hate time loop stories where somebody did the thing for themselves that they had done for them when they were a kid because it, it becomes just like this infinite loop of like, ah, and it's very frustrating, difficult for me to wrap so, my stupid so, brain around. So, so based off that, you hate Back to the Future Part 2. No, Back and... to the Future does not do this. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the Future Part Two does. No, it does it not. Does. Yes, talk it, a- yes, it. The tone in his yes, voice says he's going to die on this hill. <laughs> we'll talk uh, about. Oh my god! We'll talk about also, this after the podcast. Also, I know it is. I know we don't. I know we don't talk about this about this franchise anymore. But I think Harry Potter also did that too. Well, Harry Potter With, uh, can go over there. I don't care. Back to the Future is important. No, it doesn't do this. We'll talk about this later. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, um, Mr. Craver would like to see you after class, Will or Bill. <laughs> um, for me personally, I can definitely see why that is aggravating because um, it, it definitely kind of feels like a little bit of a cop out. But I think if you're definitely looking at like this movie from the lens of like this is about somebody kind of um, working on healing from trauma uh, sure. from a from a very awful thing that happened to them and i i personally have never been through a natural disaster so i can't even begin to fathom what that is like but um i think that kind of handoff between herself is is kind of just symbolic of like the how i want to phrase it it's it's like Grief is a process and trauma is a process with yourself and you have to start that journey of healing with yourself. And um, sometimes that encouragement from yourself to yourself, especially your little self when you've gone through something very traumatic as a child is very important. And that's kind of how I took that is Mm -hmm. her kind of giving that encouragement to her younger self of like, you know, it it is going to be okay. And like, 
not easy, but you know, this is where you're going to end up and it is going to be okay. So I, I don't know. I was crying by the end, which is not a big shocker at all. But like, I, I think that was very powerful to me, at least in the end. So, and we get all of that after a pretty amazing giant, like final big battle scene where like the big cat fights the big worm and heck yeah, always, always yeah. down for that. I did. I did like at the end, the character growth that season May goes through at the end where it seems like she's a different person than the person we met at the beginning of the movie. So yeah, it's kind of she's in a she's she's in a better place with her aunt, and she seems to have a direction of what she wants to do. Yeah, she she definitely seems to have grown as a person and be, and had and sort of more solidified her her identity. Um, whereas previously, it's like she kind of. She kind of buried those bad things that happened to her and like her faint memories of her mother. It's just like those things are in the back of my mind. You know, they don't I I put those away. But, you know, after she was able to confront them and work through them, she can realize, oh, this is this is part of my story, you know, and and uh, I can I could take the, the beauty of this of this story even throughout all the tragedy and sort of move forward from it. And I think that's great. I I do have to agree with you, though, on like the time loop thing, because it just. I just don't like that that trope. It, it doesn't make it doesn't make sense. Like, yes, he's kind of diddled with time before in your name and a couple other things, but like that to me actually made sense. Yeah, it's it's something that I am just a, a nerd about, and I can also admit that is completely uh, inconsequential. But it's just like a narrative I, pickup. But I don't yeah. care. It's really fine. I, I, I don't care. I, I don't care. I, I love I, I love that we found an Austin narrative pet peeve in mm-hmm. this recording. I think that's 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 my highlight of this podcast so far. Yeah, I, to I, counteract I'm, uh, my to counteract my amnesia plot annoyance i love amnesia plot it's my favorite thing (laughs) in fact bill's hatred of it makes me love it more (laughs) well maybe Um, your hatred of these time stories will make me love them more maybe so maybe so uh but anyway we're we're, i think we're kind of uh you know getting towards the end of things that we that we wanted to talk about does anybody have any any other things that we wanted to cover before we kind of close it out um not that i can think of me, me, oh, me! Oh yes, Bill, Bill, I choose you. The sponsorships were everywhere. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. We didn't really talk about that. It's it's crazy. Uh, I, well, not crazy, but it's it's amazing because it shows how big Makoto Shinkai is as a mm-hmm. director mm-hmm. and as a name within Japan. Because usually in anime productions, they'll come up with a spoof name. So instead of like an Apple phone, it's a pair of phones. Something, something akin to that. Yeah. Okay, iCarly. Like movie... <laughs> <laughs> pair, pair was way before iCarly. Oh, okay. Well, excuse me. Go ahead. Ryan, if you will actually somebody one more time, I swear. I'm going to turn you into a chair. But they, but they, but they, did, they didn't do that this time where they actually got big names and in Japan, where she went to a genuine Lawson's, yeah, Lawson. a convenience store, which is huge in Japan. They're like Seven Eleven. She of, ate an uh, actual Big Mac. Japan. Yeah, an actual Big Mac with the McDonald's bag and prominent placement. Spotify with known songs mm-hmm. that are in there. Like, there's a song from 
uh, Kiki's Delivery Service, the end song from my favorite uh, guy next show, His Inner Circumstances, uh, some city pop tunes. Like, it, it, and they're not made for the movie. Like, they actually licensed them. And with the Spotify logo, like, right in your, right in your face. Aren't and there, there was another... Aren't there a few there, times where they, where they like, name drop Whisper of the Heart? Am I remembering that correctly? Or there's they at do. least There's at least, like, a... Um, there's like a visual gag where it's like Suzume sitting next to uh, the cat on the train. It's just like, oh, well, that's obviously a uh, a visual callback to Whisper the Heart. And just uh, there's also, from what I read, like over 40 sponsorships from different regions across Japan wow. that were involved in this movie. So it just goes to show just how big shinkai was and i know i shouldn't be nerding out about sponsorships but it was just astounding to me to see like spotify and lawson's and mcdonald's in there well they know shinkai is is where it's at so if you're gonna put a uh, an advertisement in your anime movie uh putting it in one of his films is a sure bet for sure because i mean it, it ran in japanese theaters for like six months and only like just now within the last few weeks stopped so it's 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 a major hit major major hit that's why and it was a major hit in the united in the united states too where i think it reportedly got like two million dollars nice based based off the week the cruncher ran it and it was also interesting because it wasn't a fathom event it was a tradition it was a traditional theatrical release that Crunchyroll has been doing with their uh, small theatrical runs like the One Piece movies and such mm-hmm. where they they run it for a week but unlike Fathom Events you have to deal with like 30 minutes of trailers mm-hmm. <laughs> right yeah that is At that least... is the downside of Fathom <laughs> well that or well you, you no, were saying the, the upside opposite. of that yeah that's no, the upside sorry of the 30 because... the 30 minutes of trailers yeah, because if you go to a Fathom event, most of the time all of the trailers are fairly short and they're like directly relevant to the thing you're watching. So like you'll get yes. ads for right stuff. You'll get ads for like anime NYC or I've even seen Animazement up there at one point. So uh that, yeah. that's pretty cool about Fathom events. I I did note it was it was a lot more traditional here with with Suzume and that's probably why, but I'm really glad that you know, because Weathering with You was a G-Kids thing, so it's kind of like Shinkai has been hopping around distributors here. So that was very much sort of the Fathom Events model, but Your Name and Suzume were both uh, Funimation, well, Funimation and now Crunchyroll. Um, but Your Name felt like it took forever to come out over here. But with Suzume, it was only like a few months, which is great. So I'm glad that they have learned, learned from the past and uh, got it out here. Um, expediently yeah i don't i don't yeah, really sure. like that it wasn't i remember seeing your name like twice in theaters because we saw one time subbed and one time dubbed um but i don't remember like how long we were waiting prior i just remember that all of us were not sure if we were gonna be able to see it because it was obviously limited um theaters and then when it like we found out it was coming to Greensboro, I remember we all got really excited and booked like mm-hmm. multiple tickets for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I liked with this release because they did a more general release. It's more widely available to cities that don't usually get Fathom events. Uh, sure. Like this isn't this isn't um, 
this isn't Suzume, but my my friend Michael, who wanted to go see the One Piece movie, was excited because that was being shown in Goldsboro. Oh, jeez. Goldsboro, wow. Goldsboro is a is a is a much smaller town that doesn't get those time of events. So because Crunchyroll did a week release, they were able to put it in more theaters. Mm-hmm. And because it was a normal release, it was not just like you only have these two days to see it. Yeah. And they were showing it throughout at least the entire week. So you had a lot more chances. All right. So as we're closing here, uh, final thoughts about the movie and what is the one iconic scene that you will think of whenever you think about Suzume? I'll start with Ryan. We'll go in reverse discord order. I think probably the Ferris wheel, either that Ferris or wheel. over the city when he's doing parkour on the worm's back. Cause I was getting like secondhand nervous about the Ferris wheel because she was like hanging on for dear life at one point, And I'm like, I don't really know. I know she's going to survive because she's the protagonist, but I don't really know if I can like uh, handle this at the moment because it was <laughs> making me very anxious, but it Were was a very on? cool scene. And then like just showing what was happening from the perspective of um, Soda because she was just kind of wandering in the realm or whatever. And he's seeing her just like, existing inside this ferris wheel car and he's just like uh you need to get out of there like now so did it put you on the edge of your chair um no i was fairly reclined tori (laughs) um for me i would say um i was gonna say ferris wheel ryan already picked that so probably yeah no copying me okay no copying um the scene probably where she has to use sota as the talisman and he starts to like crystallize just just that whole kind of sequence of like the big thing mm. about the drop on the city i was very anxious during all of that so kind of the mm. that and the lead up to all of that i think yeah um, that was a good sequence like whenever they yeah. get they finally get to tokyo like the big city where it just es- has escalated at that point yeah uh-huh yeah. bill uh, to not copy, I would say the sequence where the other cat shows the uh, sort of negative feelings that the ant has, and then just them being super sour in the car as the Spotify, mm. as the guy, <laughs> as the guy is like, "Come on, let's try to lighten He's the mood." He's jamming out to Spotify. No like, yeah, it's not. It's like I'm playing good tunes. No one's appreciating them. <laughs> I appreciated them. I think as, as did I, I like I, I almost screamed in the theater when the Hitler Circumstances song came on. I was like, ah! <laughs> that actually uh, you just said something that triggered something I wanted to ask. Um, so how many people were in the theater with you guys watching this? Um, like 10, 10 okay. total, including us, I think. Yeah, it was me uh, and two other dudes. Okay. It was me, my brother, and four other people. Okay. Now, when uh, when Tobias saw it, uh, he said his theater was fairly full. Yeah. Nice. So he saw it like opening night, though, right? I believe so. Maybe that opening Friday. I can't remember what day of the week we saw it, but anyway, it was not. It a, was like a Monday or a Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Not a not a prime not a prime night, but um. 
for me, I think the the scene that will stand out for me is probably the one that was kind of uh, joked on uh, in the lead up to the film coming out, which is just the uh, the princess and the frog esque image of her like closing her eyes and getting ready to kiss the chair. Uh, so I, I, I think that's funny. It's a funny image just to see a girl like trying to kiss a chair. Like that's just funny to me. So it'll probably stick out in my mind. So not a, not a very eloquent or a meaningful scene by any means, but it will give me a chuckle whenever I reflect upon it. So that's good enough for me. All right. Cool. All right, guys. So I think we've said probably all there is to say about Suzume for us at this present moment. So thank you guys for joining me once again, and thank you listeners at home for uh, listening through to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you, you would like to listen to more episodes by Third Impact Anime, you can always find us over on our website, thirdimpactanime.com, where you can see a content archive of all the previous episodes that we've ever done. Um, you can follow me, Austin, over on Twitter for the time being. I'm also on Mastodon both at Bebop Shock and of course I am also on the greatest social media platform Letterboxd. Uh, you can find us over there. You can find Third Impact Anime on Twitter and Mastodon as well and on Instagram and there's we've got a really cool Discord. We've got a lot of cool things for you to be able to, to connect to us with and you can find out all of those things again on our website thirdimpactanime.com uh, Tori, where can people find you if you wish to be found? Um, yeah, I don't really use Twitter or anything anymore, um, but if you still want to follow me over there, I might pick it back up during con time. Um, Twitter slash Mastodon is both both worst waifu, um, but I do time to time float through the Discord. Um, that's the pretty much the place to find me. Um, so, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'm still on the Twitter, but we'll see how... That goes, so instead you can follow me uh, on Letterboxd, WBForman39, there where I write movie reviews, and as once Wise Sage said, read a book, which I am doing on Goodreads, where I'm cataloging <laughs> my manga and comic book backlog, and decided this is going to get me to do it. I've gotten through like 200 trades so far, so come read my little dumb reviews of the comics and manga I'm reading on Goodreads. I should be like WB Foreman 39 on there or my given name. So you can find me there. And I'm also on the Third Impact Discord where I'm usually Mr. Newsman posting the news of entertainment and such. I don't really use any social media anymore, but you can find me on Twitter at MidshelfRyan if you want to follow whenever i have a random thought or an angry rant about a company or anytime i complete a video game that's pretty much the only time i post on twitter i'm much more active on tiktok nowadays at bowie sensei i post uh videos of games and my dog yoda and he's a very good boy and uh also just heard his name so he perked up at my feet right now um and i'm also active on the discord as one of several names but my current profile picture is darth revan so if you see that that's me we want to shout out Yoda for being our special guest this week. Yes, thank you, Yoda. You've been a very good boy. Good boy. I didn't scream during the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my cat napped through the whole thing. I was very, very uh, proud of her. She's still sleeping. 
Oh, yeah. Shout out to Boba as well. Good kitty. Yes. Good for Boba. <laughs> Good for Boba. All right, guys. Well, thank you for again for joining me for Suzume. We'll see you in the next episode. Don't pull stone cats out of the ground. Just don't do it. It's for sure. News. But okay. get them spayed and neutered. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> it's a giant Alaskan bowie!